0: Welcome to the I'm Still Learning podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Have you ever played a game with someone who would change the rules when it suited them to get the outcome they expected? you find out that the rules you're playing by are not the rules that the game's developer had in mind. Now, while it might be okay to do this to shorten a game of Monopoly, it is not okay to change the rules of salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm calling episode 52, Sometimes the Rules Aren't the Rules. I'd like to start this episode with the scripture text. I'm reading from Colossians, the second chapter, starting at verse 16 and going through verse 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. When I was a little boy, my family went to a church that we would now call fundamentalist or legalistic. To think of it in those terms sounds pretty awful, but most of the time my memories of the years that we attended that church are pleasant. I had friends there. I went on my first camp out there. I had a good time at vacation Bible school, and I learned a lot of Bible stories and scriptures. I knew that they were strict, but it was the only church I knew, so I just thought that's how church is. It wasn't until I entered my teenage years and we started going to a different church that I realized that many of the rules my first church enforced were not really THE rules. As I moved into young adulthood, I developed some animosity toward those folks for being so legalistic. But over time, my attitude has softened toward those memories. I don't think that those folks were trying to control me and rob my childhood of anything fun. I truly believe that they were sincere in their efforts to lead us to a holy life in Christ, but they had put the cart before the horse by emphasizing the outward expressions of godliness as the way to get yourself to a right relationship with God. Let me explain what I mean. In the early 1900s, a mighty Pentecostal movement swept the country. The Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles became the epicenter of this movement. Thousands of people found a powerful, life-changing experience at the Azusa Street meetings and at other locations across the country as this powerful revival spread. Many of the folks who experienced this powerful spiritual experience knew that this was what they had been searching for, and as a result, other entertainment or recreational pursuits became less important to them as they dove deeper into this new, powerful spiritual life. But, as with all spiritual awakenings, the Azusa experience gradually lost momentum and wound down, but it had made its mark. Many new churches and denominations were launched during this time, and many are still going strong today. By the time I was a little boy, back in the 1960s, church leaders were the children of those Azusa Street pioneers. This second generation had heard the stories of powerful meetings and life change. They heard testimonies of people who were healed and delivered from addictions and would faithfully follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. Those second generation leaders wanted that experience as well, but they couldn't replicate the circumstances that brought on the Azusa Street revival. They did, however, see a recurring theme in the testimonies. Almost universally, they heard about changed priorities. Those folks had stopped going to movies, sports events, and other pursuits. Not because they now thought they were evil. They gave them up because they were just less important to them than their Holy Spirit experience. The changed priorities didn't bring on the revival— The changed priorities came about as a result of the revival. But in what I believe was a sincere effort to reproduce the power of the Azusa Street revival, second-generation preachers began to teach that the way to experience the power of God is to give up those things the earlier believers gave up. They taught the results instead of the cause. So I don't think that they were bad people, but they were guilty of doing what Paul is telling the early church to avoid. They were adding conditions to salvation. Paul was seeing that as the early church grew and began to expand in new and different locations, something was happening that happens without fail with every new movement. While he and the original disciples were the primary voices sharing this gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, the message stayed pretty consistent and basic. But as the church expanded and the new converts to Christianity began to share the message, some of the elements of the message began to shift. Now, It is nearly impossible to tell a story or relay information without it being colored by the lens of your own experience or influenced by your own personal preferences and your own ideas of how things should be. Every story that gets told gets told a little differently by each new storyteller. Some details might change with the telling, but the main elements should remain unchanged. Paul saw that there were some folks that weren't just adding their own flavor to the gospel story. They were fundamentally changing the recipe. Paul was very clear in his teaching that Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice that paid the penalty that our sins deserved. He taught that salvation is given by God's grace through our faith. No more and no less. So when he learned that converted Jews were teaching that salvation came by faith and following Jewish rituals, he had to step in. Also, there were folks from various backgrounds who were teaching angel worship, or they taught that it was necessary to adhere to strict rules that governed how they lived their lives. Now, these rules might have looked holy to them, but they added conditions for salvation that weren't part of God's plan. To be sure, this salvation by grace through faith makes it difficult to see where we all stand in relation to the rest of the herd. If there was a checklist, we could all evaluate our position in the family of God. And many times we try to enact some sort of checklist because it's easy and it makes sense. Just tell me what to do and I can decide for myself if I want to do it and move up or just stay where I am. But that's not how salvation works. Salvation is realizing through the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We come to believe that Jesus is that Savior and that he welcomes us into his family if we will give our lives to him. So if we believe way down inside in his death and resurrection, and we declare that Jesus is now the Lord of our life, then we are saved and we begin a new life. And that new life will look different for each one of us because each of us is different. And each of us is starting from a different place. So what I think Paul is saying here is that there is one way to coming into a right relationship with God. It is salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No more, no less. Don't try to add any conditions to getting right, and don't try to make it less than it is. It's more than just repeating a prayer and signing a card. And, conversely, it doesn't require that you do things a certain way, or eat a certain diet, or wear a special uniform. Just believe and live like someone who believes in this good news, would live. So there is only one way to God, but there are many ways to live for him. Remember, the gospel is not just a white middle-class religion. It is for everyone from every nationality, every ethnicity, every language group, and every economic level. It is for the wealthy and and for the poor. It is for the educated and the uneducated. It is for the person driving the brand new Lexus and for the person walking barefoot down a jungle trail. So to expect everyone who gets saved to live and act the same way makes no sense. Just live in a way that shows that you respect who God is and what he has done for you. So, just as there is only one way to God, but many ways to live for Him, there is just one way to God, but there are many ways to serve Him. No one escapes the call of God on their life. Most of us will serve without fanfare, faithfully speaking words of comfort and encouragement to friends and family. Many will find ways to participate in a local church or a program that does ministry. Some will hear the call to public ministry, and a few will be called to actually give their life for the cause of Christ. But no service is greater than another. It's all about doing what you can where you are with what you have to work with. Just serve God in a way that represents Jesus well. And finally, there is only one way to God— but there are many ways to worship Him. There are groups of people who gather to worship all over the world, and their gatherings are as unique as the folks gathering together. But as long as the name of Jesus Christ is being lifted up, it doesn't matter what the building looks like, what their order of service is, what kind of songs they employ, or even how good their preacher is. If there are people gathered in Jesus' name he is present with them. Just worship in a way that shows reference for the one who died for your sins. Don't let anyone make you feel less than simply because you don't do what someone else does the same way they do for as long as they do. If you have responded to God's gracious gift of salvation by entrusting your life to Jesus, you are enough and the work you do on His behalf, no matter how humble it may seem to you, is enough. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the I'm Still Learning podcast. If you find this podcast interesting, won't you please share it with a friend? Also, let me know what you think. Find me on Facebook or Instagram under my name, Randy Whitlow. Or send an email to rbwhitlow at me.com. Until next week, I'm Randy Whitlow, and I'm still learning.